Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 174, week 174, volume 174, number fucking 174. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Aaron of Foreign Pain and formerly of The Ghost Inside, and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's kick things off with feedback, questions, and what's been going on. We got an amazing, sexy five-star rating and review this week from Jody from the UK. So firstly, thank you Jody for taking time out with the rating and review. Secondly, Jody, thank you for the kind words. Thank you for the praise. Thank you for the feedback. And thirdly, I love hearing that listeners like Jody and a lot of you out there are getting a lot out of this show. Jody let me know that because of the Mosh Zone, she's discovered so many different bands that she probably never would have. That's what I want. I'm stoked for you, Jody, and I'm stoked that listeners are able to get not only a great conversation and a bit of insight into the bands they know and love, but they're also discovering bands they haven't yet. Thank you again, Jody. Much love, much respect. Much appreciated. So enough of the ramblings, let's get into the main part of the show. This week I got to sit down with Aaron of Foreign Pain and formerly of The Ghost Inside. And the first thing I gotta say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who's Foreign Pain? For those unaware and uneducated, let's dive in. The band formed around 2016, but it wasn't until recently did they actually start record music. Their upcoming debut full-length is titled Death of Divinity. It's coming out September 3rd on Good Fight Music. Style-wise, what's Foreign Pain? It's metallic hardcore, but it's diverse metallic hardcore. There's a lot of curves, there's a lot of bends, there's a lot of surprises but a lot of fucking mosh as well. Now, as you noticed at the start there, I said Aaron was also formerly of The Ghost Inside. Everyone listening, I would say, knows that band, or at least knows of that band. Aaron was a pivotal figure in that band from around 2004 to about 2015, and he was part of that band for four albums. Now, I'm a big fan of Aaron's musical abilities, but also just of him as a dude. He was an outstanding guest. A fucking game. Great conversation. I loved every minute. I really hope you do too. That chat with Aaron is coming up now. So, um, well, let's kick into it. So everyone gets the same kind of start-off question, and it's not a heavy band when I ask. It could be, but um, do you remember a musician an artist or a group that opened music to existing as a kid? Um, I'd say the first thing that comes to mind is Def Leppard because my dad was really into them. And I feel like that's like the first, I, I surely had listened to music earlier than that. And, you know, as a kid, just whatever your parents are listening to and stuff. But I think that was the first band that I can remember that my dad was into and we like got into it together because I remember, man, I don't even remember how old I was. I I must've been 
I'm just going to guess maybe 10 years old. Mm -hmm. They were playing at like this giant amphitheater, like a half hour from where we lived. And uh, my dad didn't find out about it till like basically the day of. And he's like, well, let's drive over there. Let's just see, you know, what we can do to try to get in. And of course it was, you know, ultra sold out and we couldn't like the, the cheapest scalper ticket outside was like $500. So we ended up just sitting outside and just listen to them playing because it was an outdoor amphitheater. So we still ended up like listening to it, but I just have this memory just hanging out with my dad in this parking lot, like hearing this band we both liked. We weren't even actually watching the show, we could just hear it. But I just like that was a fond memory. It's one of the earliest ones I can think of, but I'm still a huge fan to this day. I love Def Leppard. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll fight anyone that doesn't think pour some sugar on me isn't a banger still today. Oh, dude, that, it, that also probably would be my first recognition of a riff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i mean yeah. you kind of obviously like a lot of people it's natural the kind of initial discovery and kind of interest in music is from the household so was your yeah. dad in those early years big into music or was it kind of something that was like only in the car and occasionally in the household um he was definitely into music i'd say my mom was probably a, lo- a bigger music fan in general um she i like i learned about you know some of the bigger bands when i was younger from my mom like i learned about nirvana from my mom i learned about like pearl jam from my mom i learned about soundgarden from my mom she was like she was always into i learned about black sabbath from my mom so i mean she from my memory of childhood she was the music fan um it just so happened that i just happened to the def leppard thing with my dad i just it just stuck out but i know that like even up till this day, like my mom will, you know, randomly send me a picture of like, she sent me a picture a couple of years ago of like, Hey, uh, I'm wearing a ghost inside shirt at a black Sabbath concert. Just wanted to show you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I have no idea you were going, but that's awesome. <laughs> what about, you know, that's, that, that's really cool. But what about yeah. like for you, when did music become, you know, can you think back to when music became something more of just something you listened to? Was there a pivotal moment? Was there a pivotal band when music became, you know, an obsession per se? Yeah, I'd say my obsession, my, I'm kind of an odd case for a musician. I, my interest in music is far surpassed in creating and playing it than it is as a fan. Mm-hmm. Like I obviously love music and like, you know, but I'm not, I'm not the guy that has a giant vinyl collection. I'm not the guy that like can give you the music knowledge of every band in the world, but I'm the person that if I'm listening to something, I'm always listening to songwriting. So all of my love for music stems from playing it. And so my earliest moment of that was ironically my music, uh, my, my world, my adventure into the world as a musician started on drums. Um, I was actually the band before the Ghost Inside. I was the drummer of that band. I switched to guitar to play like when we started Ghost Inside. But my my mom's brother, my uncle, bought me a drum set when I was 12, kind of as a practical joke on my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but we set it up in the garage and I played every day for four years. Wow. And that was that was the start. Like the first year was, you know, obviously you could barely call that playing. It was just making as much noise. And then eventually I was like, oh, I could put on a CD on my Discman and try to play along with it. And then I had to figure out how to, you know, I, I made my mom go buy me some uh, like 
gun range headphones, like isolation headphones, because I couldn't hear the music over my drums. <laughs> so it was like a year of just figuring out how to play along and stuff like that. But yeah, I played drums every day for four years. And then eventually a buddy of mine played guitar and I was just would hang out at his house all the time when I was like maybe 15, 16. And I just, he showed me what a power chord was. And then I could play guitar in my room during, at night when I couldn't play drums in the garage during the day. God, your mum must have hated your uncle. Like, I mean, because, you know, anyone (laughs) listening, we know drums is probably the most unfamily-friendly instrument to begin. It's punishing. Oh. (laughs) I give her a lot of credit. She never – I don't have a single memory of her asking me to stop. Like, there was – from the get-go, there was you can't play past this certain time, Mm. obviously. Mm -hmm. Like, there was a cap. But I never remember ever once her asking me to stop. And I think, like, the, I'm, from my knowledge, I'm the only, like, well, no, that's not true. Her other brother was a bit of a musician. But her her father, my my grandfather, he, uh, he went to college on a tuba scholarship. And he's, like, the stem of all music-related things in our whole family. And so I think me taking an interest in it, I think he was in her ear a little bit of, like, hey, like, you got to let them be interested in, in playing music. And um, yeah, she just, she was always okay with it. And when I started, you know, playing in bands when I was a teenager with some friends and stuff like that, like it was always encouraging. Um, kind of fast forward a little bit when I was 16, 17, I was uh, pretty into partying as teenagers do. I got in a bunch of trouble and my mom actually shipped me off to live with my grandfather when I was 17. Hmm. And um, I was uh, clearly in very big trouble, but I was there. The first thing I was, he ever let me do, like this is like six, seven months of just being locked down in the house. The first thing he ever let me do was I had made friends at this new school with some other guys that played music and he let people come over to like jam in the garage. And that was the first time I really ever played music with other people. Wow. So like, yeah, he kind of went from like, telling my mom like let it happen and then he he really kind of facilitated like once there was people coming over to jam he uh he like built out a spot in his garage like it was a room just for us like he was very very encouraging after that so i mean that, that was a big part of me actually starting to play music with other people was my was my grandpa it's also quite pivotal as you're saying that you know despite you know the rebellious youth part of your yeah. growing up <laughs> which is normal it's understandable you were very much in a open environment where music was encouraged and not discouraged so what were you you know you mentioned about headphones in there with you know playing along with the drums so are you the kind of kid when it came to learning both drums and guitar did you kind of do lessons or theory or were you all just based off playing along and get it until you get it with drums i self-taught after about four years about like three years of just doing it myself my mom, like, she was like, if you want to do drum lessons, like you can. And I went to like two of them and he wasn't the guy. I mean, it was just a situation where I'm sure if I would have had this really inspirational drum teacher, it probably would have been fruitful, but he wasn't really showing me anything that like, I didn't need to learn how to play a Samba Mozambique drum beat. I just wanted to play all my favorite songs. And he's like, yeah, we'll get to that. And it just, it, it, there wasn't really any point. So I just went back to learning on my own. And then, like I said, with the guitar, I would just kind of try to play on my buddy's guitar at his house. And 
I was like, I don't even know where to start. And he's like, well, this is a power cord. And then he showed me that you can look up at this time, like guitar tabs on the internet were like a brand new thing. Cause this was probably 1998, 99, somewhere around there. But he like, it was really new, like America online internet service. Like you have to listen to the dial up tone and stuff. <laughs> it was brand new that you could start looking up guitar tabs and I figured that out. And so, I mean, then it was just try to learn every song that I thought was cool at the time. But oddly soon after I had some understanding of how things went, I stopped learning other people's songs almost entirely and only just wanted to write stuff. So like, if you ask me to play a guitar riff, I, I maybe got five that you've heard of, but I, I don't think there's a full song of another band that I could play on guitar unless I've learned it to like fill in for them or something like that. That's that, that's exciting though. That's interesting because you know it, there is that important step to start branching out from kind of just covering things to creating things. It's quite an important step to take. But um, yeah, definitely. What are you you know you're mentioning like playing the favorite bands or the songs that you liked. I mean, what were you like at this age when you really start focusing on guitar listening to? Like, what were the bands that were pivotal in your kind of breakout time with a guitar? Uh. When I started on drums at 12, it was very much like my favorite band was like Korn. Mm -hmm. That was like right when, you know, the first two records had been out and then like Follow the Leader was coming out. And it was, I was very much into that kind of stuff. And that was kind of my first introduction into any kind of heavier music. And then my friend that actually showed me some of that stuff on guitar, he was super into punk. So where a lot of people went from like kind of punk to something to metal, I kind of went backwards. I went from whatever my parents liked to like kind of grunge new metal stuff and then straight into punk. And I spent from like 16 to 18, all I cared about was Pennywise, Bad Religion, No Effects, um, you know, Punkorama compilations. Um, the first time I think I heard any of those bands was this really random compilation called Cinema Beer Nuts. And it had Millencolin on it. It had uh, like Voodoo Glow Skulls. It had a lot of stuff. It actually had Strife on it. It had a, mm. that was the first time I'd ever heard anything that could have been, you know, qualified as hardcore or anything close to it. And like, I don't even think I liked it at the time. I was like, what is this? This is too much for me. <laughs> but then fast forward, like, you know, four years later, as my, my progression went on, it was a lot of things changed for me. I was into punk. And then when I got moved, to live with my grandpa I was 17. It was a whole different town, whole different city, whole different school, everything was different. And so the people that I made friends there with, um, it was a whole different music scene that I wasn't even aware of. Like everybody was way more into like post hardcore stuff. It was like AFI, it was, um, uh, you know, Thrice and Thursday. It was like kind of that screamo-ish and then I, quickly zeroed in that I preferred the more aggressive stuff and immediately went into like poison the well immediately went into some stuff in that world and then like then it was hate breed then it was okay this is just going to get heavier and heavier and heavier and that's just what ended up being my preference which I guess kind of stands out now in the music I write <laughs> so but that was yeah that was my that was my kind of like evolution through it of I'm still still a diehard for those like punk bands that I'll, I still listen to this day like you know Bad Religion and stuff like that Green Day was a huge band for me like stuff like that like
that, that was when I first started playing guitar. It was all power chord music, so it was perfect. Like I could learn a bad religion or a Pennywise song in you know a couple minutes and at least get close enough to you can tell what it is. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I love hardcore too, and I, I was a, the same. Punk is a big start-off point, and I think it is for anyone listening that kind of loves hardcore. They usually start off in that punk realm. It kind of it's yeah, a natural sure. progression um, with the songwriting, the integrity, all of this kind of stuff. But you mentioning a couple of times there, you know, you're around 17 when you're at your grandpa's, and you know, you yeah. you said he let you have some friends over to kind of jam out. When did you start getting allowed or venturing out into like a live music environment like do you remember the first show you went to excluding that Def Leppard one that you spoke about earlier but when did you get out into like the heavy per se scene the the town that I moved to had it was one of those like like small towns with a really healthy local music scene um which at the time I was just like finding out about all of this for the first time and I just thought it was just like that everywhere. And now after going through that and traveling around and seeing music scenes everywhere, I realized how special it was at the time. Um, from the time that I, like from, I was, yeah, I was 17. A couple guys came over, we jammed. We played our first show like two months later because they already had a couple songs that they had kind of been working on and they just didn't have a drummer. And all of a sudden in a small town, the town, the music scene finds out that there's a new drummer Then I was in four bands within a year. So like I went from not even thinking about playing live music to like playing a show every single weekend in our, in our hometown where I'm playing in three or four bands on the bill. (laughs) And that was that for like two years straight. And then my guitar playing, I was always practicing throughout that. And I would kind of get in a little bit on some riffs here and there, but my guitar playing increased enough to where you know, some of the new local bands were starting, I was switching over and playing guitar in some of the local bands. And then also heavily being involved in the writing process for like, whatever. Because I mean, in a small town like that, like, there's a, there's a group of probably 20 of us playing in, you know, 12 bands between all of us. And it's all very like, you know, every like one guy's in four bands, and it all intermingles and stuff like that. But it's like, I was in I played drums in like a, like a post hardcore kind of band. I played drums in like a full on metalcore band. Then I played guitar in a hardcore band. And then I played guitar in another like full on like mosh band. Some of those songs actually ended up becoming those inside songs years later. But um, yeah, so it was just like, I went from zero to a hundred from never have played music with somebody else to playing shows constantly. And it was like, at the time it just seemed normal it was like well this is cool like this is all i care about this is all i want to do and it just steamrolled from there and it's the band one of the bands i was in like had some potential like we did like a really unsuccessful u.s tour and that was my first ever touring like we did a couple regional like drive to the next town or whatever but like we um, we had a full length done that came out on like a very small label and like we we tried we booked a u.s tour we went out half the shows fell through you know van broke down halfway through but we made it to the other side of the country you know what i mean we called our parents to help us get home but we did it and i just never really stopped after that like the guys in that band some of them it, this was at like 18 19 years old so some of them were like 
I don't know if I really want to like go full on on this or some of them like wanted to do school and stuff like that, which was fine. Like it just, it worked itself out, but it just, that became everything about my reality. Like there was nothing else that I wanted to do. It was like, I enjoy this. I feel like I'm good at it. Like I, there was just like the blinders were on. That was all I it was like there was no other option. There was no backup plan. There was no, I'm going to try this, not anything. It was just that this is what I'm going to do now. And again, thinking back on it, like getting into the years of Ghost Inside stuff, but like, man, like the blinders were on so hard that like I had just the things, the way that I lived and the other guys in, in Ghost Inside like lived for a few years was just insane. Like no place to live, like no, like no money, no anything like, yeah, it was just it was just full full steam ahead on anything that needed to happen to just make that what I did with my life. Yeah, and it, it's it's something that I think sometimes fans or people that are outside the you know real realm of the music understand is you know not everyone, as you said, can do it or will do it. So I mean, there's the first element. Second element yeah. is you are basically putting your life on pause to do all of this. You know you you don't spend time at home or you don't really have a base at home. You miss birthdays, weddings, funerals, you know, everything is put aside, but there's that burning desire in you, which is a rare breed to grind it because it it would have been even the very first tour you said you did with that early band. It's about a grind. Yeah. And it's the way that you said that is very accurate. Like all of those things are, fully a part of the reality of trying to be a full-time touring band and I, I guess I'd be curious it's a question that now I would probably want to ask some other people with similar experiences that my experience with that is that I had the realization of all of those things of missing this and all that but not until like four years into it mm. none of those things even like they were apparent all of those things were happening but it was just not even part of my reality of like, oh, well, I'm missing this or I don't have a place to live or I don't have any money to eat today. Like it was just all like, this is just what I'm doing. And all I cared about was doing whatever we needed to do to keep going, probably to a fault. I guess maybe maybe that's the maybe that's the line that's drawn for people that do it or not do it is maybe people just realize that sooner than others. Yeah. Some people might immediately see, hey, this is going to immediately affect my life. And I don't think I'm good with that. And maybe it is just maybe it is just having those blinders on of the people that are so into it, like I was, that like you don't even contemplate what you're missing because you're so wrapped up in what you're doing at the time. Yeah, I think also probably something is you need to, while all that's going on, I think if you're what you're doing is not gaining any momentum in any sense, I guess that's probably an easier reason to step away. So, you know, if you're noticing, you're noticing, you know, we're outside now of, you know, sales, but, you know, there was a period where sales were important or listening numbers were important. But, you know, if you're not seeing a regular turnout at shows, you know, if you're turning out for shows and it's just five people all the time and four of them are in bands, it's, you know, if that's happening, eventually people are going to say, I don't want to do this anymore. That's a really good point because like, I will say like, admittedly, I never contemplated that because I think that we were lucky enough that there wasn't, even when there was 10 people at the shows, 
and like we weren't making any money the 10 people that were there loved it mm. so like we i personally i never experienced the quote unquote grind from the 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 perception of why am i doing this people don't even like enjoy what like why am i killing myself for like what doesn't seem like it's paying off at all like i was i guess i was just i can only speak for myself i feel like the other guys would agree but I think maybe that's what also kept the blinders up is that we were fortunate enough that we, we, we didn't have like a huge spike. It was always a steady climb in our career. And um, the interest was always from the interest being small at first to doing better in the later years, it was always felt like it was progressing. So maybe that, that, that's a good point. I, I feel like you know, a band could be amazing, have amazing songs. They could have all the pieces of the puzzle and then just be missing one of the luck or something like that, where they're like, you know, why isn't this working? I, yeah, I, I feel like having thoughts like that would be a very fast track to let's not do this anymore. Cause it's, yeah. it, it's, it's amazing. And it's a life experience that is, I would never trade and is, incomparable to any other way of living your life especially now that i have the foresight of not living my life that way but it's it's not it's not glamorous mm. it or I, I guess for you know a half hour at a time on stage it is but it's not as gl glamorous as people i would never want to discourage somebody from wanting to dive into it but i guess there's more the one nice thing about podcasts like this one and in general is that i guess you get people get a lot more feedback on the reality of anything regardless of the topic being in a band a certain career anything like that um it, it will definitely the grind that it takes will weed out the people that are going to stay or not for mm -hmm. sure because it is there's a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot of there's a lot of valleys with the peaks yeah and i think you know things like like we're saying it you know yes you can see a negative to it but i think also the positive is that for fans of bands, sometimes it might make you appreciate it a bit more for what they do and how they go, you know, knowing these things of like how struggles it can be and difficult it can be. You know, yeah. that's, you know, when I was growing up, I didn't know about all this. But when I got in my 20s and I knew about all this, I was like, wow, you know, it's amazing what bands go through. Um, yeah. I want to touch a little bit on, you know, because I'm an idiot if I don't touch about Ghost Inside because it <laughs> is a big chunk. Yeah, no problem. Um, so early years, it was known as, as a dying dream. I had to write that down because I forgot that. Um, you know, <laughs> it's been a long time. <laughs> yeah. And that, that EP is floating around on the internet. I think it's on Spotify too. Um, I think so. Yeah. I think so. And that was 2004. And, um, you know, you had the EP now or never. And was that period of the band literally just like as we we're saying earlier about learning and getting experience and kind of trying things out seeing what worked because some people look back at that ep or lp if you want to call it and think amazing things of it but what was the reality of that time for the band so um i'll quickly give you the background because i'm not an original member to a dying dream um, the band we were speaking about earlier that I played drums in, the metalcore band, um, we're, we lived the next state over in Arizona, which is where I went to high school. And A Dying Dream is based out of California. And um, through the regional touring that band was doing, 
we made we played a show with a dying dream and quickly became like very fast friends so we would bring them out to arizona for shows we would go to california play with them but around the time that um the band i was in was kind of starting to you know everybody was kind of starting to go their separate ways and stuff like that the drummer of a dying dream was also kind of just fizzling out a bit just not really as interested as the rest of the band and uh the label that put out that ep told that there's there's technically two recordings of that ep mm. and the first recording was just really bad quality and the singer sounded totally different and not in a good way and um the the label is like hey like you know i'm interested in the band but first things first let's just re-record the ep that no one's really heard let's do a better recording and so they had that studio time booked and the drummer was basically just flaking out and so the singer uh vigil singer of ghost inside he called me and he was like hey man um our drummer's kind of like bailing like would you be down to just come record our ep for us because like we have studio time booked and if we don't if we back out like band's basically done like we finally have some kind of label attention and if we flaked out, he's over with, and we're just going to break up. Like, would you be down to help us out? It's like, yeah, sure. When? He's like, in two days. <laughs> <laughs> I said, this was like, yeah, this was on a Friday, and they were starting tracking on Sunday. And I was like, okay. And I, luckily, I was pretty familiar with their band just from being friends with them. I was like, all right. So, like, uh, you know, I called my boss at work. I was like, uh, I got to take the next week off, like family emergency. So I went out to California, um, learned the songs, like on the way out and recorded with them um and i had had like through recording that with them when i was there that week like i had a couple songs that were never going to see the light of day and i was like hey like if you like any of these like feel free to throw it on your ep if you want one of those songs was the brave hmm. which ended up being a ghost inside song so um they were like yeah sure this is awesome and it ended up being kind of like the standout song of the ep, EP and they didn't even know how to play it. I recorded all the guitar and bass for the whole thing, ended up recording bass on the entire EP. And over the course of that week, they were like, Hey, like we kind of have the summer tour thing booked. Would you be down to like go on it? By the end of the week, we had talked about so much stuff and that I was just like, I was like, I don't know if this is in your head or not, but I'll throw it out there. Like I have nothing going on. If you want me to just be in the band, I'm down. And I think at the time, like uh, having someone from another state playing in the band was just so far removed that I was like, I have nothing going on in my life and this is all I want to do. Like, I'll move out here in two weeks. Let's go do this. And they were like, oh, uh, yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so we we kind of hit the, I joined the band. We immediately put that EP out and kind of immediately hit the road for a US tour, which again was, you know, half the shows were canceled. Like, van barely worked. Like, just grinded out for a year on that EP. And it was just like, same thing both guitar players kind of like were like i don't know if this is what i'm really prepared to do and um we're like all right cool whatever so they went you know both the guitar players left and i told the singer i was like hey like i'm the only person left in the band that can even write music i don't want to write an entire because at that point we're ready for a full length we've already done our ep i was like if i'm going to write a whole record on guitar like let's just find a drummer like i don't want to write a whole record and then just teach it to two random people so um i already had a buddy from arizona but like we literally picked him up two days after he graduated high school and brought him to california and we were already halfway done writing the record found another guitar player that like meshed really well 
Um, and we wrote that whole first record and went and recorded it. And again, went right back out to just grinding on like the rough, rough tours. And um, we did that for about a year. And honestly, the, the, I, I think anybody else would agree the band's first, the first time we felt like that we were getting somewhere was actually when we did that first Australian tour, which was like completely lucky. The reason we even got that tour, because our, our record technically wasn't even out. Like mm. it was coming out as we were starting that tour, essentially. And the only reason we got that tour is because Jonah from I Kill the Prom Queen was playing and bleeding through at the time. And our singer did merch for bleeding through whenever we weren't on tour. So he just showed him the record and he was like, dude, this is awesome. And I don't remember what it was but our record somehow leaked on some like australian hardcore music forum and like people liked it like it was like we were basically an unknown band like the record was about to come out we had changed our name it was like a whole brand new thing we toured for a year without a record out which is our just insane as it is but um our singer went to jonah was like hey like because jonah told him about the prom queen like the the final like the goodbye tour and he was, I just told our singer, I was like, dude, at least just tell him, hey, you know, if we can open, we'll we'll get ourselves over there almost as a joke. But he was like, whatever. And he mentioned it to Jonah and it just happened to be right after people had been hitting him up. Like, hey, we heard this band, do you know him or whatever? And Jonah was like, yeah, if you guys can get yourselves over there, like, we'll, we'll figure it out. Like, I can get you a van and stuff. But you just got to get your flights figured out to get over there. Cause I just, I can't, you're, you don't even have a record out. I can't really pay you anything. Like I'll take care of accommodations in your vehicle, but like get yourselves over there. We're like, yes, done. And we went over there and I think a band that had no business touring internationally, touring internationally, even in the United States, just elevated our band to make us seem like that we were already like the next step up. I, I guess you would say. So like when we came home, for, that was the first tour we ever made a single dollar on ever and that like blew our mind like we came home with like you know a few hundred bucks each and we were literally like felt like we were millionaires because <laughs> we had just been grinding so hard but when we came home immediately all our next tours off tour offers in the united states were like all opening slots but they were all on like the you know the legitimately like branded tours and stuff like that we were really trying to get our foot in the door on and we're not, weren't making any progress. So actually like we have a, that, that's the biggest soft spot that the band has for Australia in general is that it, it, they're largely responsible for getting us going as a, as a, as a full-time touring band. Yeah. Look, Australia, I went to that show and I've seen Ghost Inside every time, but once um, their recent yeah. Unify, they, you know, got back together and did, you know, and Australia kind of saw that you guys were down here and, you know, I remember that buzz around the album kind of leaking and in a way Australia kind of kind of adopted the ghost inside in a way. Um, Definitely. And I think, I think it was a mutual appreciation because that first tour we did there, we did something that nobody, boy, we didn't think of it any time because in the United States, it's just what you do. But we were in Australia for five weeks the first mm -hmm. time we went there. Mm. We did that tour with Prom Queen from, I think it was from Brisbane to Adelaide, and then immediately just got in the van and did the same run again as a headline tour. So it was like, 
we just thought we're already over there. We're not like, we might as well, like, why not? And then it's like the headline shows ended up being amazing. And we were like, didn't, I guess we didn't think of it much at the time, but during the course of our stay there, people are like, bands don't do this, Mm -hmm. especially not playing like regional shows the first time they come over there. Like we did like a three week headline tour the first time we went to Australia. So it's like, ever like i agree with you we felt adopted by the australian music scene like in a big way that that's the reason that we made it a point to go there i think every single year after that moving forward yeah we noticed that and the other thing that australian fans noticed you know we we talked earlier about grinding and and working hard we saw that you know as we you're saying bands come down here from overseas and they play six maybe eight shows max so they come in they're out within a week and a half maybe two weeks you guys were down for such a long period of time we saw that as this band want to make it and we're going to support that music's good too so that helps music's not shit so we will get (laughs) behind it and we kind of loved that and then when we see the band you know over the time progress you know returners anyone that knows me and is listening to this podcast that's just my fucking album. Um, that is That's just, awesome. that is front to back a non-stopper. And we see re- returners come out. We see momentum gain behind the band. And we're cheering you guys on. Then get what you give feels like the album that bang, suddenly everyone's talking about the ghost inside. People could have been talking about the ghost inside earlier, but then it feels like everyone was like, have you heard this band? And, I'm roundabout getting to like, is that when you noticed that tours were bigger and better? Did you notice your slots on festivals were getting bigger? Because that album is kind of the pinnacle, I think, moment. I think you can say that Ghost Inside became a household name. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I feel like the first record was really just cutting our teeth returners is the like the first time we started to feel like we were because the first two years of touring like we were the like we were the best opening band ever because we brought a lot of people but we didn't have enough clout to like demand that we got paid fairly Mm -hmm. so it's like we're an opening band that's bringing an extra 150 people to a show and they're paying us a hundred dollars and it's like it's really, really like to get to that level where you're getting paid at all is a huge step in touring, but getting past that level is really, really hard. And it's, it's for no reason. Unfortunately, it's, it's all at that point, it's like, becomes like a networking thing, which is just a complete bummer in general. But like, unfortunately, we kind of topped out, like, I I don't want to speak negatively whatsoever, any of the people surrounding us, but like, band the team around a band progresses with the band most most of the time and so we we over about a year's time we just we we weren't able to push that shelf up anymore of like doing anything more than open like we're on all the biggest tours but we're opening for no money and it just wasn't sustainable and it was also just kind of a bummer in general because it's like you play first and everybody goes nuts and no one cares for the next three bands until the headline bands play and you're just like what are we doing here? <laughs> but um, the second record is when we finally started getting a little bit of that notoriety. But yeah, I agree. When 
at the time that get what you give came out, we had a label change, a management change, a booking change, like everything about every, all the inner workings of the band changed. It was the first time we worked with any kind of producer on a record that like had, you know, major input into an album or anything like that. So that was like a, a huge turning of the page in the band's career across the board, um, musically, just in general. And that, that was definitely the biggest step forward in the band's career. It took us from fighting our way into a position that we felt that we deserved, which I, honestly, I think we just did deserve. It's not that we just felt that like, it was pretty obvious we deserved to take the next step and we just weren't able to get there. And then that album is what allowed us finally the room to, you know, move into the world of headlining, you know, things like that. Cause most people don't realize is that we didn't, we didn't really do any headlining tour at all mm. until our third record came out. We like did like, we would headline shows playing like two or three shows on the way to the tour that we were starting, but it was just to pay for gas to get there. Like there wasn't really a headlining returners tour. Well, yeah, there kind of was, but not like full fledged, you know what I mean? So it's like, we didn't start really headlining until the middle of that album cycle. But once you got what you give came out, that's when it was like, the venues, the size of the venues changed a lot. The, you know, the, the type of people that were coming to the shows, like our audience was clearly diversifying and we, we saw it as much as I feel like it's other people have noticed it in a way that it's been described to me, similar to how you just did. We, we felt it very much at the same time too. And it was like, it was almost kind of like a, like a big sigh of relief that like the five years of grinding and having nowhere to live and like wondering how we're going to pay for this and all that kind of stuff. Like that's finally when the lid of that finally came off and it was like, okay, like we can breathe now. Like we're seeing the fruits of our labor. Yeah. And then that leads me to the next natural question is, you know, then the band releases Dear Youth and then not long after that, you leave the band. You know, we're talking about a time, as you said, you know, you're starting to finally see the fruit of the labour. You're starting to finally feel like there's room to breathe. And, you know, you're still, you know, having to fight for things, but now you're actually seeing some reward for things. So 2015 comes around and you decide to leave. I mean, first off, that's got to be a very hard thing to do. But um, why why at that stage? Was life starting to move into a different avenue or was it, you know, maybe enough's enough with grinding? Uh, there's two two main reasons. One, um, I, I, the band's talked about it in their own capacity and I'm completely fine talking about it as well. We just, there was over, between Get What You Give and, and Dear Youth, um, there's just a, a distance that started to form between myself and the rest of the band, which I fully take responsibility for on my part. And I think that they would, I think they would agree to and take some responsibility on their side as well. And that's stems fully from what we were talking about earlier with the, the part, the part that's not glamorous about living that life, because the reality of the situation is, is that, if you're a band that like we were, we toured nine months of the year from the time that we left starting on tour back in those early days of the first record until I left, 
the longest period of time I spent at home in succession was I think three and a half or four weeks, maybe. <laughs> so that means that all of the rest of that time, 24 hours a day, we're all together. Mm. And that brings its own challenges of if you're lucky enough to have five people where your personality types all perfectly mesh and your best friends and, you know, there's, there's no issues and, you know, there's no other factors involved, then it's great. But I'll say that that is extremely rare. Mm -hmm. And, um, we just didn't, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I just didn't do again, maybe because the blinders were up. It just, I never stepped step back to think like, Hey, like these people that I'm surrounded with are the closest relationships I have in my life. And if we're not getting along the same effort that I need to put into my, the creative aspect of our, this band and being a band in general, I should, I should have set, been able to step back and say, I need to put the same amount of effort into the relationships that I have with these people. And I definitely did. And I think part of it was that uh, the other dudes in the band, like the singer and I, by the time I left the band, the singer and I were the only original people in the band. And I feel the singer would be the first to say that he's just, a, he's for being a sig singer, he's on, oddly introverted. So he kind of was just more or less on his own wavelength. He definitely gets along with everybody in the band, but like he he's, he's just very, he's, he's good if he's just on his own. He doesn't need this, doesn't need that. But the other three dudes in the band that were all newer over the course of time and granted by the time I left, they, some of the guys have been in the band for three, four years at this point, but they all clicked very well. And so we had these like varying dynamics of like three guys that get along great. Me, who's a totally different personality type who wasn't doing what I needed to do to, to mesh into that. And like, just dumb things when you spend that much time together that you never resolve turn into big things. And so like, mm -hmm. I was like, I was just at a place where I was in my own head and just pretending like that none of it's my fault. And like, what, like just completely handling it the wrong way, just being grumpy about it and not being realistic about, you know, what, where it could be coming from, what I could be doing to, you know, uh, what's the best way to put it? Like what I should have been doing to take care of those relationships. And I was just kind of at a point mixed in with that. Granted, it seemed like the way we've talked about it, it's, it sounds like it's, you know, been of a bit of a fast track, but by the time we go into record dear youth, like we'd been touring nonstop for probably six, seven years. And if you would have asked me when I started a band, what are like, you know, what are your goals? What are your biggest aspirations? Like the things I would have listed off, we had already surpassed like years prior. So it's like, I was at the point where there wasn't some big, it wasn't like, oh, like all I want to do in the world is do warp Tour. It's like, we had already done it a couple of times. All I want to do is go to Europe. Like we had already been 10 times. Like there wasn't, we we're, we we're moving into the portion of the career of you either stop or you sustain. And so I didn't have anything necessarily other than it was my career. And, you know, I, I loved what I did as my career and my passion for the creative aspect of it was there. But if touring would have stopped, then it wouldn't have like ruined my life essentially. And so I'm at like these, 
like I'm at an impasse with some of the guys in the band. I'm totally handling it wrong. Like I don't necessarily need it anymore. It's become still very much my passion, but it's more like 60, 40, 60% my career, 40% my passion. And then right when we finished recording Dear Youth, I found out I was going to have a daughter. Mm. And that kind of just caused me to sit back and be like, I could have looked at it two ways. It could have been like, okay, like this is what I do for a career. I need to make sure that I do everything I can and reevaluated everything to like improve what I needed to do for my career in a music to sustain life for a child. But I also knew at the same time that in order to do that would require me to still be gone as much as I did. And as much like you said earlier, the things that people don't think about is what you miss out on life. And, you know, I had missed out on friends, weddings, friends, birthdays, family members and friends passing away. Like, you know, I had missed on all that stuff. And I just I couldn't fathom feeling that way or having looking back on life and feeling any of those thoughts about my relationship with my doctor. Mm. and um you know admittedly when I told the band I was leaving it was not it it wasn't like this big hey you know we get it it was it wasn't great like we ended not on good terms unfortunately and um it stayed that way for a while and honestly granted of course I anybody would know and I assume that I would wish it never happened but their accident is honestly what changed all of that and kind of wiped the slate clean on both sides of that fence and through you know going through that those motions and like getting that phone call and just trying to help anything I could do to support them through their recovery and just that first month was pretty crazy like you know I I got a I got a call from the band's booking agent the morning that they wrecked of like hey do you have anybody that works for the crew's phone number uh, we just have, we got this random Facebook message that the band, they heard someone might've gotten an accident. We're just trying to check on them. And then it ended up being, you know, that accident. And so that was like a cre- pretty crazy roller coaster and, you know, just going through that. And then um, fast forward a few years later, like just speaking more with like being more in contact, letting time just kind of heal stuff. Like the things that needed to be addressed were addressed which is good and the things that were just should have been swept under the rug just did on their own and um i i went to their reunion show in uh 2019 and it was awesome like i was there to support them i was stoked on it and even moving now up into this present day that like i'm thankful that the way all of everything kind of has worked out is that I would say I'm probably closer now with the guys in the band, even including Chris, who took my place. Like I, I, I talk to him all the time. I've been a guest on his podcast or his uh, Twitch stream. Like I, I have a closer relationship now with those guys probably than any time at any point that we were in a band together, which I'm very thankful for now. And like, it means a lot to me now that like, you know, it was awesome when we, you know, when we announced the foreign pain stuff, like those guys, like, I didn't even really have to ask or any, Hey, like, can you guys like share something? Like they were like, Hey, send me whatever it is. Like we'll we'll tell anybody. And you know what I mean? And, 
it's really cool that at the end of the day, like what remained through all of our history and the ups and downs and anything is that like, I know that I can, like my only outlook on anything having to do with Ghost Inside is that I'm really fortunate personally that I got to have that experience of like touring the world and being in a band on that level. But at the end of the day, like after some very hard times, like my relationship with those guys, like I'm very, very thankful for. And I'm really happy that like it went that direction and that there's no, there, not only is there no bad blood or anything, like we're, we're tight now. And I think that's awesome. Yeah, it's what you love to hear, man. You know, unfortunate events in between, you know, and unfortunate events that left to, you know, you departing the band. But it's what you love to hear that you guys have over time um you know talk things through mended the wounds and you know created the sense of friendship that you always had that you you know accidentally lost and a lot of people listening can understand that they've had friendships that might have dipped in and dipped out but it's great to hear that you guys have connected but it's also great to hear that you know the part of being a parent is also a very important part that you play that you were able to play that pivotal role in your daughter's early years that you would have missed so in many ways what what you thought at the time might have been a bad thing missing out and leaving the band it actually is all turned into a positive and it's it's fucking sick dude It, it is it's great to see that you and the guys are friends again that your daughter's blossoming into what she wants to do in life and that then leads to as you mentioned foreign pain which is like, yeah. dude, I mean, clearly anyone listening knows you're creative and you can write a riff, you can write a lick. So first question is, you know, you guys haven't birthed onto the world until now, but I read the other day, because I always like to do a bit of homework, that, you know, some people are saying that these songs have been kind of in the pipeline for like four or five years. So how did it all come about? Okay. So foreign pain started. So when I left ghost inside, you know, 30 years old, having a kid, I'm basically starting from scratch in life, which is a whole other conversation of when you leave music, it it's the equivalent of starting over from the day you graduated high school. It is mm-hmm. a very big reality check, but, um, since I was kind of starting from scratch anyway, um, I decided that, you know, healthcare is expensive, or not healthcare, childcare is super expensive here. Well, healthcare is too, but that's another conversation. But uh, childcare is super expensive, especially where I live in California. And so um, uh, my daughter's mom and I, we just kind of decided, hey, we're, I'm starting from scratch. It's going to be easier on us financially. I'll just stay home all day with our daughter and then when she gets home from work i'll go do whatever i can to you know make some money at night and so naturally that immediately turned into you know working at local music venues so um one of the first things i did as uh one of my friends uh my buddy daryl who he played in stick your guns for a bit and you know from from the general world of hardcore um he was basically running, he's head of security at Chain Reaction in Orange County, California. And so he, we were just shooting the shit one day and he was like, hey man, like if you want to do security at night, feel free. Like I'll, you know, come on down. So I started doing that, just working shows on the weekend. And 
over the course of like the year or two that I worked there, him and I were like, you know, the, the conversation start of like, oh, let's jam. So, you know, set up the guitar ribs, guitar rigs, play a couple riffs, you know. Yeah, this would be cool. And we just jammed and I had kind of already had some riffs that ended up being like the first form pain songs, but him and I just worked out a couple riffs. And then from there it was like, well, like let's, let's hit up some people up and we have a music venue. We can practice that for free. So let's just, <laughs> let's do it. So I had, uh, I had a couple friends that I had also known from just, you know, friends of friends from the general music scene in Southern California, but my, uh, my friend Doyle and uh, Sean are both transplants to California from Iowa. And Doyle owns a, a merch printing company. And so he was out here. He was also booking at the time. And I knew just from hanging out with them that like they had done a band together back in Iowa. And like it had been a few years that they, you know, the conversations come up and they're like, yeah, like, let's do it. Let's jam. And then, um, Daryl, who was working at the venue, he had a buddy that played drums. And we all just kind of met up at Chain Reaction one day. And I was, Daryl and I had already worked out a song. And I was like, hey, here's a song. Like, let's see where it goes. And it just went well. Like, for five people that all didn't know each other, I was kind of the middle ground for all of it. Like, for five people that all kind of loosely knew each other in varying degrees, like, we all, like, clicked really well. Um, and we just kept jamming. And this was all throughout, like, end of 2015 through early 2016 and we had finished like six songs and so we're like all right let's go record an ep so we go uh spring of 2016 we went and tracked six songs musically um with no vocals had been written had been written yet so we're like all right we got the music and then our singer starts at that point kind of starting to put some lyrics together and some vocals together but, you know, that being said, he had sang for his old band, but, you know, he a few years out of practice, wanted to get back in the swing of things. And so he started chipping away at writing some vocals here and there. But at the, like I said, he owns like a very, very busy business. So he's only working on it here and there. And it's fully just a hobby. And all of a sudden a year goes by and we still don't have all the vocals tracked for our six song EP. And in that point, we've already written more songs. <laughs> So we're like, well, it's been this long. And he finally is wrapping up some of the vocals on that. And I was like, we go and record the music for three or four more songs. And we're like, whatever. Like, you know, this band is very much just for fun. Like for us, it, it started as an excuse for us to all just hang out together. Just like guys that have toured before in varying degrees. People have families, people have businesses. Like this is just our excuse to hang out and play some music. And we're like, whatever. Like if we're going to go through the trouble of recording, like we have 10 songs, let's do a full length. So then we record the rest of the music and sure enough, it takes another year or two to finish all the vocals for that. Cause like I said, like our singer, he works, you know, 14 hours a day. So he's showing up to the studio at 10 o'clock at night, exhausted, trying to do some vocals. And half the time his voice goes out after 30 minutes and it's like, all right, whatever. Like the guy that's recording us is also like a super close friend of ours. So it's an excuse to hang out with him, put a little bit of money in his pocket. So it's fully just this like hobby that we chipped away at for like four years, three or four years. And finally had everything, all the tracking done by the end of 2019, the whole record's tracked. And at that point we had worked on it so many times that the songs 
were in so many different recording sessions and it was like just to dig through all of it was like almost a nightmare to figure out because it was like years of recording sessions and um i just sat down with our buddy roger who recorded and like helped produce the record i was like hey we have drum takes um i'm just gonna come in let's block off three days and let's just record all the guitar so it's all cohesive um I, re- I tracked all the, the bass player doing all the bass parts at my house. So we had just like the, we basically retracked the whole record on guitars and bass. And um, the songs, three of the songs that we originally did for the, the EP, we actually did release in 2018 as a demo that was on iTunes and Spotify. And it just, it was kind of, we, we just put it up there ourselves is more or less like an easy way for people to say, instead of trying to send them a Dropbox link to like listen to our record, it was like, Hey, it's on iTunes. It's just easy for you to check out. But we put, we, I mean, between 2017 and 2020, I think we played like three or four shows, like very much just a side project, fun hobby. And into 2019, the record's finally done. And we all just kind of talk and practice. We're like, Hey, like, the record's finished. We know we want it to come out. Like let's granted, we may never do this as a full time. Like we're not going to go grind out and do six weeks of touring or anything, but like we felt like we, we have a pretty good record and like we're stoked on it and we want to just do everything that we can within the reality of all our lives to try to get it out there. And so the plan was always to self release it. Um, but we also wanted a good finished product. So that's when um, we hit up Bo from Seosin to mix it. Um, I, I hadn't, I was always a fan of his, his work, um, big fan of his like mixing and stuff like that. And his, his manager for his like studio stuff is my buddy Ray Harkins who sang for that band Taken. Mm-hmm. And I hit up Ray and I was like, Hey, you work with Bo, right? And I was like, I know I'm reaching cause he does legit stuff, but like, we just have our like record that, you know, what can we do to try to mix it? Not even thinking it was going to be realistic schedule wise, or if we could even afford it. Cause I like Bo does amazing work and dude deserves to be paid, you know? And Ray was really cool and just kind of worked out like a, like a homie discount. He was like, Hey, I'll, I'll send it to Bo. Honestly, if he likes it, he'll do like, he'll do what he can to help work with you. But if he likes it, it'll make it a lot easier because if he's doing something on a, a friends and family discount at least if, if he's going to listen to it for a week straight it's it should be something that's not going to make him want to kill himself <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah Bo was really into the record and he's like yeah so we worked it out mixed it with him had that wrapped up like spring of last year and at that point we're like awesome record's finally done like let's figure out how to get this out and the pandemic started mm. <laughs> so which is kind of like I guess in a weird way, not fortunate, but just it worked itself out because if we would have tried to put out a record as a no, like a completely unknown band right before then, it would have just like gotten lost totally in the shuffle, which who knows, maybe it still will. But um, we, at that point, we're like, hey, we've waited four years. Like, we'll just wait till all this calm, calms down and then like we'll put it out when it makes sense. Like, we have a full record that we can listen to and show to our friends. And that's good enough for us for now. If we're going to try to put it out, we're going to not completely handicap ourselves with not being able to do anything in the music industry. But uh, in that time, over the course of last year, like I said, our singer, um, 
he owns like a pretty large merch printing company and he works with all kinds of different people. And um, one of the people that he prints for from time to time is Good Fight. And uh, Rick, who is like basically like the label manager, Carl, obviously he, he owns the label, but Rick is kind of like the heart and soul of that label. Like he's the day to day, like make everything happen. And they were shooting the shit over just like some merch stuff here and there. And um, Rick had like, they were just shooting the shit and he was like, Oh yeah. Hey, like you're doing a band. I want to check it out. And uh, our singer sent him the record and he was like, dude, this is amazing. Like, what are you doing with it? Like he was really interested immediately. And we're like, I don't know. Like, we don't really want to shop it around because it just feels weird to do that knowing that like granted we want to be a professional band but we're not necessarily going to be a full-time band because we have careers and families and stuff like that and rick was like i don't care like i just want like i if you guys are down i would love for this to come out on good bike and we were like yeah of course like obviously and so we've just been working really close with him over the last year to just like really like iron out like some some cool things to do as a like an album rollout that um that are going to be coming out in the next you know six eight weeks until the the record comes out but um we're fortunate we're really fortunate with with the members of our band we can do so much stuff in-house that a lot of bands like aren't fortunate enough to be able to do like for instance our singer owns a merch printing company we can print amazing articles of merch for a fraction of the cost because he owns the company like our bass player is a director and does all of our music videos so we and then like i can record and facilitate all of that stuff and like be a big part of writing and like the other guys in the band like everybody brings something to the table that allows us to kind of take not shortcuts, but like we, we can just kind of take some of the steps that a brand new band have to work through as a learning process. We're fortunate enough to just have the experience within the guys in the band to like hit the ground running in a way that um, I guess a brand new unknown band wouldn't necessarily be fortunate enough to be able to do. And one of them is the fact that like, you know, between myself, um, other guys in the band, our singer who also was a full-time booking agent, like our network of friends alone is pretty large. And, you know, they're like, a, many of our friends are just gracious enough to just help us get the word out, which is when we announced the record, like it got out to a degree a lot more than I expected that it would. Like, I knew that, you know, some of our closest friends would help out and try to post about it and stuff like that. But, like, I didn't expect for, like, it to be landing on, like, Spotify playlists or, you know, people that hit us up, like, to do, like, articles or, you know, people like yourself, like, hey, you want to jump on a podcast? Like, I guess I just I just never thought of it as more of more than this is something like a record that we love for ourselves that we would love to get out there, but with zero expectation. Like, people could think it's the worst thing in the world. And I would still just be stoked practicing, you know, every couple of weeks with my friends, because that's what this started as. And that's the prime initiative of this band is to just do it because we love it. And whatever comes of that is just icing on the cake. 
Yeah, look. So it's I like, mean, yeah, it's. I think that's why also the music is exciting because there is obviously, as you said, a sense of like, not to say other music isn't genuine, but there's a sense of it being genuine, just relaxed, fun, and if people like it, they'll like it. And on failure, you know, when as I was telling you before I started recording, you know, Bury Your Dead is one of my top bands of all time. And they shared it. And I think they shared like in their story, they shared something and, you know, I clicked on it and it was just a little, maybe 30 seconds of the track. And bang, the track was like in my ear holes going, I think I need to look into this. And then I deep, (laughs) then I listened to the song. And that's the thing, like no matter how people come to it, that doesn't matter. The fact is the music is fucking sexy. It's, you know, if I say it's metallic hardcore, I feel like I'm insulting it and I'm not giving it the right props. But it's a, everyone likes labels and I think it's a very simple way of saying it's metallic hardcore. You know, I wrote down a few bands that it kind of tipped my tickle with. You know, people listening, uh, it's like Turmoil, Throwdown, Converge, Every Time I Die... You know, there is so much going on in there that this is only the opening track. So what the fuck is coming is really exciting. Like, I I can't wait to hear the whole thing as a piece. So it's like, bring it. Like, just bring it, dude. Bring it. That's awesome, man. Thank you. That that means a lot. Um, I guess, I mean, just to speak to, like, what the band sounds like, it's when we started like with the first few riffs that I even wrote for the band, I just happened to be on like a big turmoil kick. Like Mm -hmm. one week I just listened to the process of like all week. And I was like, I want to write a riff like that. And honestly, like the first stuff that I started writing for this band was like, when I think back of it, it's kind of like an indirect reaction to the kind of music that I wrote for ghost inside which was all very much like really down tuned and like, I mean, granted, I guess it goes inside kind of had a whole lot of influences on its own, but for me, it felt like, okay, I want to do something that is just different because I can, I have no rhyme or reason of what I'm going to do with any of these riffs, but I just want to like put this guitar and this tuning that I've never played in and like just write stuff that I would have never really put into what I did for the last 10 years as a band, like as a creative outlet. And so that's kind of where this music started from. And I just, like you said, like that's definitely the stuff I was listening to when this stuff, when the music for this band started to come together. And I think, I mean, I, I, people, I feel like people say it a lot just to like make it sound interesting, but I, I genuinely think people will be surprised at the variety and depth of the record as a whole because there is stuff for like I'm never shied away from having eclectic music tastes all into a single song um Ghost Inside was very much like that to me I don't care what it sounds like if it sounds like this band or that band or this genre or that stuff my only gauge on whether or not I want to put something in a song is if I think it's cool like if this sounds, if I like this, I, why would I not want to show everybody else? Like, why would I not want to put this in a song and put this out there? Like, I don't care if it sounds like bands that are conflicting of each other. Like 
who cares? Like, if it all comes together in a song that I'm stoked on, that's, that's, that's the bar. You know what I mean? Like, that's all it really needs to do is that I can listen to our music front to back. And I, I'm stoked because I can listen to our whole record and it doesn't feel like there's any fat, like there isn't like, here's just the part because we couldn't finish the song. Like the upside of having, you know, four or five years into this recording, this record is that like songs changed a lot. Like, it doesn't matter. Like we would have a part of a song that had been done for two years and sitting back on it that long be like, it's, why things could be better. Like, let's sort it out. And it's there, there's a lot. I mean, granted the influences alone are like have a lot of variety. They definitely include the bands that you listen for sure. But like, there's just some places we went with it that like two songs on the record the only thing that makes it sound like the same band is that it's the same singer singing on it. Mm, okay. Like it goes from like, the, I guess the most extreme degree of that I could describe is that there's one song that like fully just sounds like a melodic hardcore song. Like it could be like a shipwreck song or something like that. Like it's very much like a defeater shipwreck esque kind of song. And then there's another song that has like a full on like black metal blast beat chorus. Ooh. <laughs> yes. yeah and so like it's the other thing that we specifically like um we have more singles coming out prior to the release um i don't know when you're gonna air this i honestly don't really care when it is or <laughs> what information comes out because we're a new band any information going out is good news you know what i mean Who cares? <laughs> but uh our next single is i think august 2nd so like next week mm-hmm. um and that song is like pretty dramatically different from on failure and the song the third single comes out on release day with uh, another music video and that song is vastly different from the other two as well and we kind of did that on purpose just like you said like you hear something like i'm intrigued what is this but if you hear three of those like to me if i heard that if i was on the outside looking in and i heard three songs all from the same record that all don't necessarily sound like they'd be coming from the same record. Of course, the caveat of if I liked it or not, if I heard that and I was into it, I would be like, I need to check this out for sure. And that's kind of the goal is that, I mean, the attention span just in, in the world in general is very hard to fight against. People are, they have everything they could ever want on their phone. So we're just trying to do whatever we can to like, like, in our own way, get the word out on our, on our band without just like, Hey, here's 37 posts of just go watch this, go watch the video, go watch the video. Like there's some really cool stuff like that we're working on right now that are going to come out probably the the week leading up to the release. There's a really cool idea that we put together, which I really hope because we're still in the stages of putting this together and I hope it pans out in the way that we're going for, but uh, we're working on this idea of um like in hardcore in general lyrical content's a big deal and that's probably one of the things i'm most proud of of this record that i didn't even have anything to do with but like our singer really put himself out there lyrically and personally and like there's some really really like heavy like stuff that he talks about on this record because he went through a lot over the four years that we were recording and he didn't shy away from it like he he, 
he went through the motions of processing that and put it into these songs. And we, we want to try to share some of that with people without just the typical, hey, like put our singer down on a, a stool and just talk about what the record's about. Here's the lyric explanation. We're trying to put together this project uh, uh, to cover a few of our songs that I, I feel is unique. I mean, I won't give away all the details because it won't be as exciting, but we're gonna have a few videos coming out the week of release that don't have anything to do with the music. They don't have anything to do with the real, the lyrics. It's just our, our way of trying to share and give a window into the things that we're talking about in our music in a way that is creative, but also not just, hey, I'm gonna sit here and just tell you what it's about. Like, I, I guess we're just trying to take a creative approach to sharing that kind of insight into a song. So we'll have a few of that coming out. Um, like I said, our, I mean, our our bass player is a director. He's directing all of that content. We, I mean, there's still gonna be more stuff coming out after the album release that it's just, we're able to fortunately put together a lot of things in the form of content to share with people that, um, we can just do all ourselves and keep it all in house. So, I mean, we're, we definitely have a lot of things on the horizon to try to get out there to share with people, to try to, you know, just share our record and our band in general with as many people are willing to listen to it. I think it's exciting, man. You know, music, that's exciting. The thinking out of the box that you're saying, I think is exciting. I also think it's necessary, you know, sometimes just those little ideas might bring you those extra people that, maybe normally wouldn't wouldn't give it a go you know it's it's exciting and it's also you know we're in the same age bracket so it's also something about the experience of having seen so many different phases of the industry as you said attention spans are short but also for a musician there's so many different avenues you can take advantage of social media and videotography and you know it's great man but back to what you just yeah, before I come into my last question or two, if you are giving me diverse music, and I'm speaking for myself here, and I know I'm speaking for a lot of our listeners because they know that I don't just hone on one style on this show. It's every kind of genre. I like that, dude. You know, I'm 38. I listen to so many different styles of music. You know, it's it's all got a guitar in it, but I'm into so many different styles. Yeah. I want Same. a band that gives me variety you know i also do like bands that give me the same thing but i get excited when i hear variety so before i forget it's called death of divinity and it's september 3rd but listeners you're you're going to be into this because this is going to come out very soon and i know a lot of our listeners will love it but look i'm i'm excited man like i'm also excited because you creatively as someone that I think is very unique, you know, you have the ability to do drums, guitars, all instruments, you know, you've dabbled in lyrics, you know, you're also someone who clearly is got a vast, uh, influence base. You know, I think it's important also for you to creatively get out there, you know, whether you are a touring band or not, I think it's exciting that your music's out there for people to listen I'm excited for people to hear it. Um, And my last question is kind of like, you know, this is four or five years in the bloody making. Um, You've you've honed these songs pretty much you might think to death, but you've honed them. Um, (laughs) What 
are you guys going to do now? You know, you're going to get this out there. I know shows are going to be, you know, a thing maybe occasionally. But I mean, what are you going to do with music? Are you going to take another five years to release another album? Or are you going to kind of maybe release an EP? You know, what are you going to do? I don't know. Um, we'll definitely do more music for sure. Um, we'll definitely, I mean, we're, we're fortunate enough that, you know, we live in Southern California, which once it is back up and running with the rest of the world, it's, it's a very active music scene. We'll definitely be playing, you know, anywhere in our general area as often as we can. Um, we basically like our the only thing that I can say that we won't do is that we're not going to go out and grind out like a full U.S. tour. It's just not in the cards for a, like where we're at in our lives. We're all in our, you know, mid to late 30s, families, businesses, careers, all that kind of stuff. But I mean, that doesn't mean that we would ever shy away from like a cool opportunity like we'll definitely do some weekends here and there if we were fortunate enough to have the opportunity to like travel anywhere else out of our region we definitely would be like we're definitely looking to do as much as we can as a band given you know just the limitations of our personal lives as well so it's the best way i guess i can describe it is that for all intents and purposes the band will be carrying itself as, you know, like a professional band, like will be actively, you know, putting out merch, actively putting out music, actively playing as much as we can, um, actively sharing content on social media and stuff like that. We're just, the only thing is we're just, you know, it's not gonna be 100% of our lives, hmm. which like you kind of touched on earlier, I think that's, I, I've found in this band, a whole different appreciation and a whole different like outlook on playing music in general, like doing it at root as a hobby where it's not anything having to do with my livelihood means that I'm only doing it because I enjoy it. Mm. There's no subconsciously or consciously, there's no other contributing factors other than anything that I or we as a band do is because we really want to. And we really, that's all we'd like, because we love it. And being in that position, it, it's, I just find more and more appreciation and value in it every day. So it's, it's not like, Oh, Hey, we're just going to throw this record out there and then go back to our lives and not care about it. Like we'll actively be, you know, getting ourselves out there, getting our music out there, playing as much as it allows for, like we're, we're a band that's here to release a record and to get it out there as many places as we can, for sure. Oh, it's, I'm, I'm excited for you, man. Like, like I said a couple of times now, cause you know, I just can't emphasize it enough. I'm very excited. Um, the sing the first single was um, amazing. I can't wait for the next few. Can't wait for the whole thing in general. Um, and just excited to see, Whatever happens next, um, this is a great start, starting spot for you um, and the band. So um, big love and support for me for everything awesome, that's man. coming. Thank you. That means a lot. Now, Aaron, before we go, we are giving a segment to finish with that everyone gets it. So 170-odd guests, 170-odd guests have all had the same segment. It's called Pick Your Poison. Now, Ooh, okay. 
Pick Your Poison is kind of like a would you rather, but then I'm insulting my segment by saying it's a would you rather. It is <laughs> It is um, two options. You pick your favorite of the two. You do not need to justify your answer, but you're welcome to justify your answer. Okay. Oh, if I'm feeling if I'm feeling nervous about my choice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, a pizza or a burger? Pizza. Okay. I've been meaning for like ten years to get a pizza tattoo. Love burgers too, but pizza is like probably number one. Dude, I'm the same. I keep saying to the wife, I want a pizza <laughs> tattoo. I want like a slice of something of a pizza. Yeah. I want to get a slice of pizza dressed up like he's in, uh, like basically a slice of pizza dressed up like crust bunk. <gasps> crust bunk. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. The only one I'd really thought through was a, a slice of pizza with like some Air Jordans on, and then I hadn't figured out the oh. rest. I hadn't figured out the That's rest. That's amazing. Um, uh, ribs or brisket? Ooh, ribs. Okay. Um, Soft taco or crunchy taco? Soft taco. Okay. And I say that because my fiance's father um, is a uh, Hispanic immigrant and mm-hmm. makes the best Mexican food on the face of the planet. And it's just in, you know, I get to have that regularly and he makes soft tacos. So here mm-hmm. we go. <laughs> um, are you having guac or no guac? Guac, come on, man. No guac people are. (laughs) I'll just leave it at that. (laughs) Um, Smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Smooth. Yeah. Easier to spread. Yeah, look, I I say it probably every episode. If you like crunchy peanut butter, you're a Satanist because you are abusing your bread. (laughs) Your bread has not gone through that much punishment ever in its life. Like, I feel sorry for that bread. Like, oh. It's true. Totally Um, true. Coffee or tea? Uh, Coffee. I've never really been either. Uh, But as of late, I've kind of been drinking coffee a little bit more regularly. And that's... It's kind of out of the normal for me, <laughs> but yeah, coffee. Um, can of Coke or a can of Pepsi? Ugh, neither. If I drink a soda, it's root beer. But that being said, I really don't drink anything other than water like 95% of the time. Nice. That's good. Yeah, I'm big on root beer. Love root beer, but yeah, go. I mean, granted, it's a long-term experiment. Go like five years without drinking Coke or Pepsi and then take a drink of it and realize how weird it actually tastes. It's an acquired taste for sure. Yeah, I drink a cup or two of coffee in the morning. I have water, but I have a thing which we have here, which is called cordial. So it's like a oh, yeah. a dash of something with water. Um, but I can't remember the last time I had a Coke. But yeah, it's not, you know, it's not the best. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Milk chocolate or white chocolate? Uh, this is tough. If I were to just drink it, or you're saying chocolate milk, or you're just acting the actual chocolate? Either or. You can go down any avenue okay. you want. For actual chocolate, white chocolate over chocolate, or dark chocolate. And then if it's milk, chocolate milk over regular milk. But I also really love cereal. But then again, when I eat cereal, I usually have almond milk. So I don't know. That question or answers all over the place. <laughs> I like that though. I like that. You went down a couple yeah. of avenues. I like that. Um, it's going to be your last ever meal. Are you going to have it at home or are you going to have it at a restaurant? 
Uh, that's tough. It depends who would be, it would be at home depending on who's cooking it. Hmm. If it was like my fiance or like her mom or dad, they all are amazing cooks. I'd say at home, but if I'm cooking, I'm definitely going out. I'm a terrible cook. (laughs) (laughs) Um, New movie comes out. Do you want to see it at the cinema or would you rather wait to watch it on the couch at home? I would prefer to see it in a cinema and then probably end up watching it at home. Mm. Just, just schedule wise in general, we don't get to, we don't get out to the movies that often, but I would always prefer, but I'm just being realistic here. End up watching it at home. Yeah. I mean, I I like the cinema experience, but it's just too costly in Australia. It's crazy. Um, Spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow. See, this is tough. It was always the beach forever, but I just got back into snowboarding last year. And I'm like kind of obsessed with it. <laughs> I've been, this is embarrassing to say, cause I live like two miles from the beach, but I've been to the snow more often in the last year than I've been to the beach. So currently I'm going to say snow. Okay. Um, cat or dog? Uh, in, see, these are hard. <laughs> I'm a pretty big animal lover in general. I would say of the species in general, I would say I'm a dog person. But I did have, like, I have, we have, I have a million dogs. I have like four dogs. Three of them are pugs and they're just kind of like our world now. So right now, definitely a dog person. But I had a cat forever that was like not a normal cat. Like he's tattooed on me. Anybody that ever met him was like, this is just the coolest animal in general in the world. I'm really on the fence. That's a real tough question for me. My fiance would be pissed if I said cat. She hates cats. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got we got three dogs and my wife can't stand cats either. So we'll just say that one's a draw. We'll say it's a draw. Yeah, it's it's a draw. I mean, if I see either one of them, I'm just as excited to see either one of any pet that is not mine. But I'm an all dog family at the moment, so I guess <laughs> I'll go with that. <laughs> we'll go with that. Um, okay, a couple of movie ones and music ones: Terminator yeah. or Predator. Um, probably Predator. Almost, yeah, Predator. Okay. Um, Rambo or Rocky? Uh, I want to say Rambo, but I'd probably watch Rocky. I'd probably put on Rocky before Rambo. Okay. Um, Jason Bond, uh, Jason Bourne, or James Bond? See, you'd think. I feel like everybody probably says James Bond, but I, eh. it, they, I, I, I like the video game more than the movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. GoldenEye. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So J- I would, yeah, I would put on a Jason Bourne movie before a Bond movie these days. What about Star Wars or Star Trek? Uh, I, I honestly never, I was never a super fan for either. I liked both of them. Um, Probably a, I, I get it. Probably an odd opinion. I think the new Star Trek movies are awesome. Mm. I'd probably watch one of those over one of the new Star Wars. But I think classic Star Wars is the best of all of either of those, you know, franchises. But the new Star Trek movies are like just awesome action movies. I'd put one of those on for sure. 
Great answer. Um, and totally agree with you. I'm, I'm not a fanboy of either, you know, um, but I know my listeners hate when I remind them that I aren't a fanboy <laughs> of either. Um, yeah. South Park or Simpsons? South Park. Simpsons is like legendary, but South Park, like there's never been a more creative show ever. Like if you just sit back and think about it, like what they can, like what they cover in their content and to be able to do it in real time, basically like a week after current events, like to to have that show be on for that long and relevant and just as good as it ever was, like that show's amazing. Now, this one being music segment, this might be the hard ones. Okay. Okay. Well, not that the others weren't. Um, Slayer or Pantera? Pantera. I mean, not very PC, but riffs. I'm yeah. a riff guy. Uh, Terra or Madball? Oh, that's tough. Um, I would say individual. There's like some individual Madball songs that would be my favorite of the two bands, but in general, more Terror albums are like. I'm not going to say listenable because that it sounds derogatory, but I could put on a full terror record more than a full Madball record. Yeah. Um, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica for sure. Sorry, Dave Mustaine. Another person has not picked your yeah. band. Um, <laughs> uh, where was I? Sick of it all or Agnostic Front? Uh, again, I appreciate both bands but don't really have an affinity to either i'm like be right on the cusp between being too young to be a super fan and being too old to have never heard of them so like i like especially because in my late teenage years i was in a tiny little town where the only way to listen to music was like like myspace was like a very brand new thing to find music so like if it wasn't one of the you know top 20 most popular bands i probably had never heard of it so, I mean, I didn't even listen to Sick of All and Mad Ball until I was probably 20 years old. Yeah, that's understandable, though. You know, a lot of uh, yeah. a lot of the younger generation probably haven't heard of the bands until I mention it in this segment every week, you know, so... True. Um, Darkest Hour or God Forbid? Hmm. Honestly, I never really listened to God Forbid that much. So, I mean, Darkest Hour by default, but then again... There a couple of their records got pretty heavy rotation back in the day, but yeah, I, I've, I've heard God forbid here and there. And I feel like that's probably one I'm going to put on my list to go back and revisit. Cause I'll probably have a different opinion now than whatever random songs I checked out back in the day, but darkest hour. Hate breed or throw down. Oh, that's tough. Uh, I'm only, <laughs> I'm not really a huge fan of either of their second half of their discography. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Throwdown definitely is going to be my answer. But I was into like uh, Under the Knife and Perseverance, Perseverance and uh, like the first couple of Hatebreed records were a big part of my launch into heavy music. So I have like a a soft spot for it, but throw down just Keith Barney riffs in general 
if you go back and listen to any of my discography from the mindset of, I probably am just trying to rip off Keith Barney, you'll realize how accurate that is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah. Okay. Last few. You're going to go play a show. There's no limitations. Everything's back to normal. There's no barrier. There's no security. Do you want stage dives happening or mic grabs happening? Uh, that's tough. I stage dive as a guitar player, stage dives because if they're trying to get them, I do backup vocals on pretty much every band I've ever been in. So getting smashed in the teeth of the microphone sucks sometimes, <laughs> but the act of wanting the mic is also awesome. Mm-hmm. So, uh, just out of logistics alone, I'll say stage dives. <laughs> um, you're going to go to a show to watch it. Are you going to watch it from the pit or by the sound desk? uh sound desk i i'm old and i don't want sweaty people touching me yeah <laughs> uh, I've, I've i've said it once or twice or very rarely but i don't know what it's like in in the states or for a lot of our european listeners i don't know what it's like for them either but um there's a thing in australia where you go to a show the pit starts and suddenly the sweatiest dude is also the dude without a t-shirt on and he's the one that keeps running <laughs> yes. into you I do not understand yes. how the shirtless, sweaty guy keeps touching me. I don't understand it. It's like, yeah, no, nah, don't get it. I don't know. I mean, more power to them. They're there to let loose, and I'm not going to hate, but I really, I really just don't want it on me. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> it also just sounds. It also sounds better at the de- sound desk. So yeah, they, very true. Very true. Now the last one is the only triple one. Now I'm okay. going to give you your all-time favorite album. Now the way I give it to you is the only way you can consume it for the rest of your life. So do you want it on CD, vinyl, or on your phone? Um, I'm going to say on my phone only, again, like logistically, because my access to it is easier than either of the other two. but I have a very deep appreciation for the act of like someone who sits down to put on a vinyl record because the act of having to purposely do so means that you're doing this because the only thing you want to do is listen to this. Mm. So I think digesting music in that form, especially like on your record player at your house and your setup where that's what you're doing, like, Granted, there's a lot of people that put on vinyl just to have background music at their house. But if you're putting on a vinyl, it's because that's what you want to be doing. And I think the depth of which you're going to absorb what you're listening to is unrivaled in that medium. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it's one of the best answers to that last one I've heard. Um, Dude, first things first. Thank you. Thank you so very, very, very much for taking time out for me. A lot of love, a lot of respect, and a lot of appreciation for you um, and for you giving me not just time but your energy, for your personality. Um, Time flew by, and you are one of those guests that I love having on because you know how to hold a conversation, and it makes it easy to have a guest who knows how to talk uh, because I don't need to keep telling you things or asking you things. So for me, this was a pleasure. 
Um, and also a pleasure because I'm a big fan of the ghost inside, but I'm also in a very short space of time going to become a big fan of foreign pain. Everything that you guys have got coming, I love, and I can't wait to see, you know, what's on the horizon. So thank you. Really. Thank you. Thanks, man. That, that, that's really awesome to hear. I totally appreciate it. Like, um, I'll be honest. I honestly, I'm a, I'm a new listener to your podcast now. I mean, you hitting me up was the first time I had heard of this and which I'm surprised about because looking through your guests, like you have, I listened to some of your episodes just out of the intrigue of the guests, like um, big fan of your show. Now I added it, you know, I've, I've followed you on Spotify now and I'll definitely be listening in the future. I'm definitely a fan of the show. Oh dude, that's um, I'm going to just ramble that to my wife about eight times this week. <laughs> um, she's going to get to the point where she'll probably send you a message to tell you, you should never have told me that. <laughs> But uh, that that looks... no, it's cool. Like I mean, it's there is a lot of people don't understand that there is an art to doing what you do on your side of this conversation to ensure that your guest feels comfortable and welcome and is able to continue on that conversation and keep it flowing. And there, people just think that it's it, it it's how do I say it? A lot of people think that that's something that isn't. Um, by design to some sort mm, mm. granted that you're everything you're saying is completely authentic and you're an authentic guy just in this conversation i can tell but um it, it's not to go without saying that being a good host is equally as important of whoever it is that you're talking about and i think you do a great job oh thank you man really appreciate that um yeah, you know, I'll be in touch constantly. Well, not constantly i'm not going to message you every night at six o'clock and ask you <laughs> how your day was um but but look, thank you again. And, and look, also thank you for, you know, way longer than we expected. But I mean, it's, it's good. You know, I don't, I don't like having to try and cut people off. So it was good to, you know, yeah, for going. sure. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on, man. Oh, pleasure. Um, look, I'll let you go. I need a toilet break. Okay. Otherwise I'll probably piss this <laughs> computer chair. Um, but I'll stay in touch. Um, thank you again. You're a legend. Um, and let's do this again soon. Yeah. For sure, man. All right. Take care, Aaron. See ya. All right. Bye.
Yeah. 
So that was my chat with Aaron of Foreign Pain and formerly of The Ghost Inside. And at the end there, the first track was by Foreign Pain and it was titled On Failure. Second track was also by Foreign Pain and that's called Neil. Both of those tracks feature on the band's upcoming album titled Death of Divinity, which comes out September 3rd. Now the third and fourth track were both by The Ghost Inside. The third track was Unspoken, which is from the album Returners. And the last track there was Blue and Gold from the album Fury and the Fallen Ones. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you enjoyed the music or you enjoyed the conversation, now's your chance. Jump online, consume it, download it, get invested in it. If you're into physicals, make sure you jump online and pre-order yourself that Death of Divinity album by Foreign Pain. And lastly, if you're into merch, get yourself some Foreign Pain merch. There's quite a bit up there and some very sexy ones in there as well. Now I need to take this moment to thank Aaron again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. I'll stay in touch. Let's do a part two very soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 174 done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.